This is the Wealth Ability Show with Tom Wheelwright. Way more money, way less taxes. Welcome to the Wealth Ability Show, where we're always discovering how to make way more money and pay way less taxes. I, this is your host, Tom Wheelwright, founder and CEO of WealthAbility. So COVID has battered the economy. We all know that. That's pretty obvious that the economy is in dire straits um, as a result of what's gone on with the crisis. And the government has responded by first shutting down, then opening, then putting a lot of money in the economy. And so today we're going to really discover what happens next. So what's the result of all of this government spending? How do we get through not just the crisis, okay? It's one thing when your house is burning down, you do certain things, but once your house is burned down, what do you do? And then what do we, you know, what happens for the next many years? And we have uh, somebody I've been wanting to have on this show for for a very long time now, uh, somebody that I've admired for, for many, many years, um, the uh, former budget director for Ronald Reagan. Uh, we were actually talking, we were in Washington at the same time. I was uh, uh, in a little lower position than uh, Mr. Stockman was. But uh, David, welcome to the show. Happy to be with you. And uh, good to talk about those times. Uh, we're in a totally different world today, I'll tell you that. Oh, don't we? So uh, if you would, for those who don't know you, David, would you give us just uh, 30 seconds of your background? Well, uh, yeah, after I got out of uh, graduate school, I went to Washington in 1970, worked as a staff assistant on Capitol Hill, kind of looked around and said, how did some of these bozos get elected? They can't, can't be that hard. Uh, some of them didn't seem all that smart. So as a young man, I was 30 years old, I announced I was running for Congress in my home district in Michigan. I happened to win. <laughs> and I was elected to the House in 1976. I spent uh, four years there. I was part of the Young Turks group at the time, Jack Kemp, and we were called Supply Siders, and we really wanted to I change. remember that. Yeah, we wanted to change the direction of policy, cut taxes dramatically, shrink government, uh, let free enterprise thrive, and all those good things. And uh, we got uh, connected to the Reagan campaign in, in the fall of 1980. I don't know how exactly it happened. I got drafted to be his stand-in uh, debate rehearsal opponent for his uh, debates first with John Anderson, uh, the independent who I'd worked for us uh, when I was a staff assistant, and then against Jimmy Carter. So I was Jimmy Carter for a whole week getting uh, Ronald Reagan prepared. In any event, he uh, won the debate. I think that's why he won the election. It was very close. And right after the election, he called me and wanted to know if I would uh, be interested in joining his government. I said, yeah, I'd like to be director of OMB because I was very focused on the budget and realized because I'd been in Washington long enough that OMB is really the switchboard of the whole federal right. government. If you're you know, in charge of the switchboard, maybe you can make some things happen. Well, he said, I'm not sure exactly what that job is. But in any event, a few days later, he called back and said, I had the job. So, Oh, that's awesome. I director, and you know, then I became one of the architects, I guess, of the whole effort by the Reagan administration uh, uh, to you know, change policy from the big governments, uh, great society, uh, Jimmy Carter mess that we inherited. And we made a little progress, but not a lot, because it turned out that nobody wanted to give up all their goodies, and we right. couldn't cut spending, we cut taxes a lot, a huge deficit emerged, and, you know, we've been fighting with that legacy uh, ever since. 
unfortunately, what happened was uh, Greenspan got put in as chairman of the Fed uh, when Volcker was uh, forced out. And I was a great supporter and admirer of Volcker. I think he did the right thing. But Greenspan uh, basically made it easy for them to keep running these large deficits. He monetized them. He put the Fed on the path after 1987 of, of continuously expanding its balance sheet, which then became massive in the crisis of 2008. And so, uh, you, you know, when you look at these numbers, you have to just uh, kind of scratch your head. When Greenspan became chairman of the Fed in 1987, the balance sheet was $200 billion. Now, remember, the, the thing opened in 2014. Uh, okay, so that was 75 years and taking them to get to 200 billion. Today it's seven trillion. Okay. Right. So, so let me ask you. So let me ask you, David. So, um, so we've got the biggest deficit ever this year. I mean, in in the first 10 months, all, you know, trillions of dollars in deficit, never been this big. Do you think that the government, you know, what what was interesting to me was how fast the economy collapsed. With, yeah. with, with the shutdown. I mean, how fast it collapsed. It was like, oh, wow, you, you didn't realize just how um, tenuous our economy was until you saw that, that big um, hit. I mean, it hit my business, right? When we dropped 80% sales in one week. So did the government have an option other than infusing that $3 trillion into, um, through the CARES Act. Yes, it had an option, which is, and I'm glad we're raising this, because to talk about where we're going, we have to understand what has happened in the last five months, which is unprecedented uh, off the charts. They had the choice of not locking down the economy, of not panicking, of not going into a hysteria about the COVID, which was never justified. Now, I agree for 5% of the population, it is a very serious illness, mainly the elderly, the very elderly, and people that have uh, underlying life-threatening conditions. 80% are 65 and over, and over half are 85 and over. We, by martial law, effectively, we shut down the economy to fight this thing, but that's half of the uh, death rate from poisonings. That's less than half of the death rate from automobile accidents in that population. Now, the reason I'm dwelling on this is that's the workforce. That's the economy that got shut down. That's your 80% revenue that was lost. That's the whole uh, sector of what I call uh, hospitality and leisure. You know, so, so you would not have shut down the economy? Absolutely not. Trump made a horrible mistake by listening to Fauci and what I call the scarf lady, you know, Dr. Burks. These people have been in the disease, uh, you know, business uh, their whole career. Fauci went to the NIH in 68 when he graduated from Cornell, and he's been there ever since. And uh, Dr. Burks has been in there since she got out of medical school. So between them, they got about 90 years uh, on the government payroll in zero years, how well you are in the real world trying to run a business. Now, how in the hell mm -hmm. can you run a restaurant when they tell you only one third of the capacity is going to be allowed? How right. can you plan you know, for the future if they say, oh, we're having a slight increase in cases, so we're going to shut you down again, which is what's happened in Florida and Texas and elsewhere. We're in a real mess because this isn't a business cycle, the ordinary kind of business cycle that works its way through the economy in a year, a year and a half. This was martial law overnight, 
uh, that was devastating, and now they're trying to buy our way out of it with this massive spending, which we should go into because it's off the charts. Yeah, so so let let's talk about that. So so I presume you you prefer Sweden's way of dealing with the the, the crisis. You know, uh, well, Sweden, and I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but you know, they, uh, for a long time you can see all these stories in the New York Times and so forth. Sweden made a huge mistake, you know, because their mortality rate was slightly higher than. Uh, let's say Norway, uh, and there's some reasons for that. Most of the deaths in Sweden were the, in uh, care homes and long-term care homes anyway. It wasn't because they didn't shut down. But, of course, they didn't shut down. Schools remained open. Work remained open. Uh, you know, the social congregation activities, as I call them, restaurants and so forth, remained open. But the point is they have more new cases. They have maybe one or two deaths a day for the last three or four weeks. If you look at the charts, it's over. It's passed through the population. More or less, they have herd immunity. And if you look at the European economies now, coming out of the second quarter, the strongest economy in Europe is Sweden. Wow. Uh, and, they, and mainly what they lost was exports because the rest of Europe, which is their market, Shut down, so, but, you know. so let's talk about the deficits, David. Let, let's yeah. talk about the huge deficits. And and what I'd like to know is, so, okay, let's say that, heaven forbid, things get shut down again when the flu combines with COVID in September and October, and now you've got, you know, some pretty major, um, you know, I mean, it's an acceleration of what we've got now, right? So what happens then, and you keep running these deficits, I'd like to know what happens in the next five years. I think we're in great trouble because the only reason we've gotten away with, the only reason that we've gotten away with what we have so far is the Fed has monetized all the borrowing. Now, if we go to early March, the balance sheet of the Fed was about $4 trillion. By the end of June, when the everything bailouts had passed, you know, the uh, $1,200 for everybody and the $600 a week of unemployment benefits and the so-called PPP program and all the rest of it, uh, the, the balance sheet was $7 trillion, so they basically bought all the new paper that, right. the, Fed was push, or that the Treasury was pushing into the market right. during that uh, three-month period. Now, how long can you keep doing that? I mean, th this is really banana republic stuff, both from a central banking point of view and from a fiscal point of view. And when I say central banking, I mean, uh, when I say banana republic, I'm not really trying to you know, uh, be uh, excessive uh, or use a, a uh, exaggerated metaphor. We're going to end up this year, which of course the fiscal year ends in September, spending over seven trillion dollars federal budget and taking in revenue of less than three trillion. So yep. when you have a government borrowing far more than it's taking in in revenue to make ends meet, you got a banana republic. And it's not going to be easy to dig out of this, uh, especially if the Democrats win the election. So, okay, so so let's go to the other side of that argument, which would be the MMT people, right? The modern monetary theory. Yeah. Um, and they think that actually you can have too little of a deficit, right? And they're saying, look, you've got to keep pumping money into the economy and deficits while, while you can get too big, they, you know, as long as you monitor them, they're, they're not, they're not the end of the world. The way I look at it is if you look at, let's look at an invest, uh, a bank and a bank right now, they borrow at a low rate and lend at a higher rate. That's how they make their money. 
So they don't have any assets. I mean, banks don't really have assets. They have your assets and then they lend you your assets, right? They lend you my assets is basically what happens. That's what, how a bank works. Why can't the government do that? Well, uh, it's very simple. Uh, if we take that period uh, we've just been talking about, when they went from $3 trillion to $7 trillion, they bought $4 trillion basically of government notes and bonds and bills and some uh, GSE, you know, mortgage-backed securities. All of those represented real resources. At one time, they paid salaries or they bought aircraft carriers or they built houses. So on the one hand, those uh, debt instruments uh, represented the consumption of real resources, labor, capital, technology, and so forth. On the other hand, how did the Fed pay for that $4 trillion it bought? It simply created digital credit, right. uh, you know, put it in the bank accounts of the, of the uh, various uh, dealers who sold them the bonds during that frenzied period of bond buying. Well, that, that's something for nothing. That's magic. Uh, yeah, on the one hand, yep. you have uh, digital air. On the other hand, you have $4 trillion of real resources. That's what's wrong with mod modern monetary theory. It's nuts. It's free lunch nonsense. <laughs> so, I mean, a serious person can't even debate it. Let me tell you. Uh, you know, so because how long can you, if you, if you really believe in modern monetary theory, why not taxes? Let's not bother with taxes. Let's just borrow everything and have the Fed uh, basically buy up all the debt. Uh, with uh, digital credits made out of thin air. And let me go further. Why work? Why, you know, why do we need to work? You know, we just have the Fed drop money out of the sky. They're getting close to that. You know, when the $1,200 checks went out, uh, that's like helicopter money. Right. It went to 160 million people. And where did the Treasury get the money to send out 160 million? I'll get back to this in a second. Hey, if you like financial education the way I do, you're going to love Buck Joffrey's podcast. Buck's a friend of mine, he's a client of mine, he's a former board certified surgeon, and he's turned into a real estate professional. So he has this podcast that is geared towards high paid professionals. That's who he's geared towards. So if you're a high paid professional, you're going, look, I'd like to do something different with my money than what I'm doing. I'd like to get financially educated. I'd like to take control of my money and my life and my taxes. I would love to recommend Buck Joffrey's podcast, which is called Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. I hope you join Buck on this adventure of a lifetime. So let's fast forward to January and February. Let's say we have a, a Biden-Harris presidency and uh, well let's let, let let's let's call it a biden presidency for now okay let's 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 stick with biden for now and and we have this presidency so we have these two and they've already been talking about two thousand dollars a month for retroactive to march um as kind of basic income they've talked um biden's proposed a three trillion dollar tax plan none of which goes to pay the deficit what happens when you have a big tax increase in an economic slump? Uh, I, I think uh, the day of reckoning arrives. Uh, I think we have a real disaster. Uh, we're just uh, uh, skating by right now because we have this massive air cushion of transfer payments and, uh, you know, enhanced unemployment insurance and 
half a trillion dollars in the PPP program, and I could go on. Now, that's the only thing that's keeping the economy alive. It's very fragile. And if you come in with a massive tax increase, more spending, you'll get a tremendous panic on Wall Street. They'll start selling everything in sight, stocks, bonds, anything. You'll really have a tremendous liquidation. And then how is the uh, federal government going to finance you know, all of that uh, spending, uh, you know, I, I just think it, it would be a, a catastrophe. I, I see no way actually that it would happen. They might pose it. It'll get up onto Capitol Hill. It'll get in a huge uh, food fight over, uh, you know, uh, execution like we've never seen before. So, okay. So unfortunately, let, let, let's just wrap up with this. What would you do? Let's say that you were, you were in charge. You, had, you, you could um, do what you think is right for the economy. What would you do? Well, the first thing I'd do is fire Dr. Fauci and say, the lockdowns are over. We're going to let uh, the economy reopen. The second thing, I, if I could do it, I would house clean at the Fed. These people at the Federal Reserve just uh, totally distorted the financial market. They inflated asset prices beyond uh, any reason. And I would say, we're going to go back to sound money. We're going to go back to uh, a real uh, private enterprise system that's based on real price discovery in the financial markets. Third, I would tell Congress, we've got to start living within our means. We're going to reform entitlements. We're going to cut the military budget by half, but we don't need to be policing the world. We can't afford to be policing the world. It doesn't work anyway. So uh, I would cut a trillion dollars or more out of spending from entitlements. uh, And I would try to get back to a path of uh, rationality, of, you know, sound uh, uh, economics and sound money. It's a huge, tall order in uh, a deep uh, mess at the moment. But uh, you can't just keep digging yourself in deeper. You know, at some point, uh, we've got to get back to uh, sanity. Okay, so um, we don't have a whole lot of control over that. So, because we're not there, we don't get to do that. So, what do you suggest people do? One of the things I always ask our guests is, what practically should we be doing, uh, given that we can't control that and that it's probably unlikely to change in the short, short in the short run? Yeah, I think it's a great question. Twenty twenties are going to be a very bad decade. So people need to start conserving their assets, conserving their resources, reducing their spending, and you know, get ready for the storm because it's coming. Second, get out of the uh, Wall Street. The stock market, the bond market, all of the financial markets are unstable. They're dangerous. They're artificial. They've been propped up by the Fed. All of these prices are too high. Who would want to own a Uh, 10-year bond that's yielding six-tenths of 1% less than inflation. Who wants to own Apple when it's trading at 35 times earnings or double, you know, its historic level? So get out of the financial markets. Third, remember when the, uh, you know, rubber meets the road here, the only real money left is going to be gold. And uh, I think gold is going to soar as a haven as people, uh, you know, flee the financial markets uh, that have been so uh, distorted and made so fragile and dangerous by the Fed. So those are the three things that I would recommend. Awesome. So, so one of the best um, lessons, economic lessons I ever received, my wife and I were on an eco safari in uh, Zimbabwe 
And yeah. our guide, you know, of course, Zimbabwe has been through this, right? So they've been through yeah. this rampant inflation and, and printing money and so forth. And we asked him, so what do, what do you do? What, did you, what, what have you been doing? He says, well, every time I get a paycheck, I immediately bought a cow or a sheep because I wanted it in a hard producing okay. asset. I'm going, to me, that sounds like really yes, good yes. advice. Right, you you get producing assets, yes. something yeah. that's actually tangible instead of something that uh, I, I loved your quote. Um, I, I heard your quote once that uh, you, you invest in things that Bernanke um, can't steal. So yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I love that. I, I think the whole idea of being sound and getting some financial education. I think you know that's why I love what you're doing. I know you're out there, um, uh, you know, on the you know so to speak on the road, but you're doing, you're doing these interviews so that you can get people to understand what's going on. I just want to really thank you. If somebody wants more information about all of your great writings, what you're doing, where would they find you? You know, every day I address these topics of a Biden administration, of a Trump administration, of the Fed, of the financial markets, of the fiscal situation, our foreign affairs policies, the world economy, all of these things you have to bring together in the big picture. And basically, the title of my newsletter, Contra Corner, I think tells you where I'm coming from. Contrarian. I do not believe the establishment uh, narrative. Uh, what they're telling you on CNBC or Fox Business or, you know, the other uh, uh, cable networks is, uh, you know, uh, what they want you to believe. But uh, it's not where we're really heading uh, as we go into the future. David, it's been absolutely a absolute pleasure, um, a delight meeting you and having this conversation. I think you've given some great insights and great advice. And just remember, everybody, when when we get the true financial education, when we're really understanding what's going on, we do have some control over what we do, and we're always going to make way more money and pay way less taxes. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to The Wealth Ability Show with Tom Wheelwright. Way more money, way less taxes. To learn more, go to WealthAbility.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.